right, well, I don't like to not be able to wander around, but today we'll put up with it, all right? Today we're talking about work, and um, uh, in, in, in light of that, I want to commend to you a book. Guys, I'm getting some big feedback on that. All right. Uh, the book is called Every Good Endeavor by Timothy Keller. He's a former pastor, I believe now retired uh, from um, um, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. So if you're ever in Manhattan, uh, then uh, Redeemer Presbyterian would be the place for you to stop in and check those folks out. Uh, great stuff. Uh, but anyway, this book is the library copy, Every Good Endeavor, Connecting Your Work to God's Work, because that's honestly what your work is. Your work is a way of serving the Lord in what you do every day. So uh, this is the library copy. And if you just want to borrow it, read it, and uh, bring it back, you can do that. But if you are a little more possessive of your things, and you want a free copy to take home in your hot little hand and keep on your shelf, I have one of those also. You can tell which one is which because one says Chillicothe Bible Church across the back. That one you have to bring back. This one you can have. All right? Uh, but I want to encourage you to take a look at that because there is a lot that the Scripture has to say about work. And work is meant to be a blessing. It is meant to be something which is a, a way of serving the Lord, something which is meant to provide also for your needs. But quick show of hands, how many of you hate your job? Okay, nobody raised their hand. All right. Okay, so how many of you hate your job but didn't want to say so? <laughs> All right. I think if we're being honest... At least sometimes, at least on some days, many of us will wish that we did not have to work for a living. And every kind of work is hard in many ways and on many days, and it can be hard in, in, in even different ways when you're the boss or even when you're the owner of the company. And that's the case whether you're in a field that you, that you picked out for yourself and a job that you even enjoy but even on, in those circumstances, on our worst days, we're all tempted to sing a line from Johnny Paycheck's old song from the 70s. Remember this one? Starts out, take this job and shove it, right? <laughs> we don't want to do this anymore. I ain't working here no more. I don't want to do this, right? A lot of us are tempted to think that way, but believe it or not, that's not the attitude that Jesus calls us to when it comes to our work. For us as Christians, whether we're the employee or whether we are the boss, our work should be transformed by the Holy Spirit's presence within us. And that's because if we are Christians, there's no place where we don't take our relationship with Jesus. And we need to, we need to remember that. That there's no place that we go that Jesus isn't with us. And so there's no place that that we don't take our relationship with Jesus and we should have unaffected by our relationship with Jesus. Uh, the Christian life is not a life where we uh, just have little boxes or little segments. You know, like your life is not a waffle where you have the things in each little square not touching and having any relationship with each other. 
uh, the Christian life is more, one much more like if it is a waffle with different little aspects, Jesus is the syrup that fills and, and transforms uh, every part of life. And that includes our work. And so our whole life, most definitely including how we live as husbands and wives, how we live as children's, children and parents, uh, how we live as bosses and employees must be transformed by our relationship with Jesus. Because after all, if our, oh, hey, I've got a real mic. Praise God. Praise God and our, and our guys in, on the worship team that were able to get this done. Thank you. All righty. All right, now we're in business. Now I can wander. Um, all right. But I want to look this morning um, at Ephesians chapter 6 and what it has to say about these things. So if you would stand, we're going to read uh, verses, uh, verses 5 through, through 9 of Ephesians chapter 6. This is what the Word of God says. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we want our relationship with you, uh, the fact that we are children of the King, the fact that Jesus uh, is part of our life by your Holy Spirit, to be the transforming reality of our lives. Father, we want our faith to get into the nitty-gritty of what we do Monday through Friday, what we, how we spend our time on Saturday, not just what we do on Sunday morning. Father, may your Lordship extend over every part of every day, and most definitely including our work. And Father, we pray that your spirit would speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now you'll notice that the first four verses here in this section are all addressed to the same category of people, to bond servants. Uh, bond servants is another name for slaves, for people who are bound to someone else, often in, the, in this era due to unpaid debts. There was no bankruptcy court uh, where you could have your debts discharged. And so if you, had, if you owed money that you couldn't pay, then guess what? You became the property of the person to whom you owed money. What Proverbs says about uh, the borrower is servant to the master was very often, uh, servant to the lender is very often true. You literally were owned by someone else until such time as your labor would pay your debt off. And if you were born into a family where that was the situation, then you also became property of the master. Uh, 
slavery is not good, amen? But it was the predominant economic reality of the ancient world. And many scholars think that a large percentage of the early church, of most of the early Christians in Gentile churches would have been slaves. And so this is a passage that addresses the reality of most people in the church at the time's lived experience. But in addition to that, we who are not slaves should carefully consider this reality. That if God calls slaves, if God calls slaves to let the gospel transform their work before their master, then how much more should we respond in a gospel-empowered way to people who are merely our bosses. Amen? More than that, how much easier is it to do that? We might hate our jobs at times. We might dislike our bosses. But the truth is, we can quit anytime we choose. It's just that on most days, we choose not to. And we may have had to choose not to for 40 years. But the fact is, is that our boss does not own us. And we can quit whenever we want to. And if God commands spirit-filled, gospel-reflecting, transformed work for slaves, then it definitely applies to us who work as free men and free women. So, what does a spirit-filled, gospel-reflecting response look like in your work? As I study the text, what I see are four transformative attitudes for us to adopt. The first one is respectful obedience. That's right there in verse 5. Uh, fear and trembling is an idiom. It's, it's usually a phrase that applies more, most often in other contexts in the Scriptures to how we should approach God. That it's an, it's an idiom that carries the idea that we should be fully obedient to those in authority over us without any form of subtle insubordination. Those of you who are parents know what I'm talking about. Okay, where the kid will do what you uh, have asked, but with the biggest eye roll that you've ever seen. In fact, you can hear it happen, right? Um, that's insubordination. It's without the big sigh. When the boss makes a request, <sighs> okay, right? You want to be fully obedient, fully respectful of your boss. Uh, not uh, necessarily of the person themselves. They may not be a respectful, per respectable person, but even if the person holding the job above you is a bit of a twerp, you respect the position that they hold. Because you respect God, who is their boss. Does that make sense? Second transformative attitude that we must adopt if we're believers in Christ at work is this. Is of sincerity. You see that there in verse 5? Let me go on and explain what that means. Sincerity means that this isn't just an act. That when you're fully obedient to your boss, you're not merely fully obedient 
merely to his or her face. Doing something when his, you know, you do something else when their back is turned. Okay. How many of y'all had gym class when you grew up? Did y'all take gym class? Okay. Well, when I was in gym class, uh, there was a guy who was the gym teacher, right? He, and you could recognize him because he had a, a shirt that was about a size too small and these little two-button polyester shorts. Do they still make these, right? Little pockets that went like this. And, and he had a whistle around his neck and a crew cut and a bad attitude. And so that's how you knew he was the gym teacher, right? And, and he, he would get all of us boys in there. And then, we, and then as part of our warm-up exercises, we would all do push-ups. Or rather, we would do push-ups when he was watching us do push-ups, right? He would he'd be like, all right, boys, down one. And everybody would go down because he's facing us, right? And his back would turn and he'd go down too. And we'd all just stand there and look, right? Why? Because we don't want to do push-ups. And we're not going to do them unless he's watching us and making us do it, right? And that's the idea here behind uh, this phrase here, eye service or being men pleasers, right? You can do that same thing at your job. Where if the boss is there, if the boss is watching, then you work hard. Because after all, he has his eye on you. But if he's not there, well, the expression, the cat's away, the mice will play, kind of comes into view, right? But if you're a Christian at work, we don't work that way. We don't do one thing when the boss is there and a different thing when he, he or she is not. We are sincere in our work. And we do it because we are doing it as a way of doing God's will. You see that there in verse 6? It says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Because see, the reality is, is that Jesus is always present with us, and so his eye is always on us. Amen? And on top of that, we want to please and honor and glorify Him in what we do. And what we do in our job is a way not simply of serving the boss or earning a paycheck, but of serving God. That's what verse 6 says, that we serve God in what we do. One of the things that Christians, this is a, a Christian term really, how many of you ever heard of, a, of your job referred to as your vocation? Heard that word? That's a Christian word. It comes from the word, um, comes from the same word that you get the word vocal. The word calling comes from that word, right? That your job is not just something you do to earn a living, it's a calling, it's your vocation. So if you're a ditch digger, you are a ditch digger to the glory of God. If you are a guy who is a transmission specialist, you are a transmission specialist to the glory of God. If you are uh, fortunate enough to be able to stay home and raise your children, you are raising those children to the glory of God. You are serving God in what you do. If you're an attorney, you're an attorney to the glory of God. If you're a, a uh, an engineer, you're an engineer designing uh 
you know, parts for a caterpillar or whatever to the glory of God. If you are stocking shelves, you stock shelves to the glory of God. It's your calling, not just your work. Whatever the work is, all work that is honorable, in other words, all work that you're not committing a crime by doing, is a way of serving God. It's your calling. And so we work with sincerity when we're believers in Christ. We do God's will from the heart. Verse 7 tells us we should also do our work cheerfully. That's what with a good will is all about. Even if your job is drudgery, and some jobs include a measure of drudgery, uh, some jobs are nasty in certain aspects. You know, I notice if you survey if you survey third graders, you know they all want to be like astronauts or um, you know football players or uh, you know firemen or nurses or doctors or teachers or you know something like that. No one ever says, you know, my life goal is to be a garbage man, right? You know, a garbage man is kind of a nasty job, but does it need doing? Yes. Yes, it absolutely needs doing. It's important work. It is taking care of the of God's creation. It is providing uh, to the protection of people from disease and from filth. It's important, and you do it if you it, whatever the job is. You do it cheerfully. You do it energetically, as if it's the most important job in the world. And in certain respects, it is because it's yours. And this is my way of serving God. And how do we do that? Well, we recognize that Jesus is our ultimate boss, no matter who the earthly one might be. In fact, this is the third time in three verses that that greater reality is mentioned. Verse 5 says that you serve as you would Christ. Verse 6 says, as bondservants of Christ. And here verse 7 says, as to the Lord, it's the same thing, that we all work for Jesus. If the guy that, or, or the gal that we serve under is a tyrant, then we must remember who the boss is. And it isn't them, it's Jesus. And in remembering that, as we're filled by the Holy Spirit, uh, it transforms our attitude toward our work. It doesn't matter that my boss is a twerp. What matters is that ultimately I'm doing what I'm doing to serve the Lord. And so I can overlook whatever behavior this person has toward me because ultimately I serve the Lord. Finally, verse 8 gives us the final transformative attitude of the Christian worker. What is it? It's doing our work expectantly. Do you see that? We are looking forward in verse 8 to God's reward. I love that that promise is here for us. It says, whatever we do for the Lord, we will receive His reward for doing. Whatever we do for the Lord, we will receive His reward for doing. So if it's, if it's like I say, if it's digging ditches, we dig ditches and expect, with the expectation 
that Jesus is going to reward me for what I've done here. If we are, um, if we're selling cars, we're selling cars with the idea that Jesus is going to reward me for what I'm doing. And so the way that I do it is as to him. We live, when we live like this, and by the way, the whole point behind this is that when we live like this, we testify to the truth of the gospel of Christ. People do not do this. They do not work like this. They do not do their work cheerfully and with, and with sincerity and with respectful obedience toward the boss, well, they wait until the boss's back is turned and they talk about him badly behind, the, behind his back at the water cooler, right? Can you believe what that son of a gun told us to do today? Right? That's what work is like. But if you're a Christian, you don't do that. And as you don't do that, but instead work cheerfully, with the expectation that God is a rewarder of what you're doing, all of a sudden you stand out, amen? You look different than everybody else. And whatever status you have here, let's, we ought to bear this in mind, whatever status you have here isn't permanent. Look at verse 8. Whether you are a bondservant or free, your status is not permanent. God doesn't abide the distinctions that people make in the world. Slave and free do not matter to God. Management and labor are not permanent eternal classes. We are all free children of God, heirs of God himself and co-heirs with Christ in eternity. And you can be certain that he who gives abundant blessing in this life, and God does, God gives abundant blessing in this life. Any of you all enjoy the afternoon sunshine yesterday? Abundant blessing. That's just a little small one. Abundant blessing. Knows how to give abundant reward to those who follow Him. The God who does abundant blessing now gives abundant reward to those who serve Him, especially to those who serve Him when it's hard to do so. So bottom line, as Spirit-filled Christians, when we work, we work for Jesus and for His reward, and we do it with obedience and respect and sincerity and cheerfulness and with the expectation of Jesus' reward for what we've done. And we do that so that we might testify as a gospel witness to our boss and to everyone we work with that Jesus has come with us to work. Now let's look at verse 9. I have to say that verse 9 does not make me comfortable. Uh, it addresses Christian masters. In this context, Christian slave owners, Christian slave masters, which seems to imply that some early Christians owned slaves. Now, I can't tell you how common that was. Um, only one slave owner is directly addressed in the New Testament personally, and that's Philemon, who owned a slave named Onesimus, and Paul wrote a book to Philemon telling him to turn Onesimus loose. 
So we don't know uh, how common this was. It probably wasn't very common for Christians to own slaves uh, because very few of the early Christians were wealthy people. And it's much more likely that more of the early Christians were slaves than that they were, were slave owners. But since the word masters here is plural, there must have been at least a couple in the Ephesian church. And what also makes me uncomfortable about this verse is that Paul does not command them all, however many there were, to set their slaves free. Uh, possibly that's because freeing your slaves had become so common in the early first century that the Roman Empire put strict limits on the practice. They're like, nope, you, we've met our quota for the year. You can't turn any more, any more slaves loose. Um, and possibly you might not have been able to legally do so even if you wanted to. Uh, maybe that's because you were technically in the position of being the master, but not the ultimate authority in the house, and therefore unable to. So, for example, if you were a Christian woman married to a non-Christian man, perhaps you'd come to faith after you had married him and he was a slave owner, then your husband owned slaves and you were technically also their master, but they were not yours. And so you were not able to turn any of them loose. So how do you behave toward these people who are owned by your family? But you are not free to set free. Uh, similarly, a Christian man might live in his slave-owning father's house and have authority over slaves he didn't own. But whatever the reasons why, Paul does not... Um, what Paul does command Christian masters to do applies to both them and to all of us who exercise authority over other people at work. So even though this verse doesn't make me full, fully comfortable with um, the fact that what it leaves out, what it doesn't address here, is addressed elsewhere in the Scripture, but not here, the first phrase in it is incredibly subversive of the institution of slavery. Do you see what the first phrase is? Masters do the same to them. If, that's, if that doesn't hit you, it might be because you haven't thought about it deeply enough. Do the same to them. is essentially a restatement of the golden rule to people in positions of great power. It's the idea that treat your slaves like you would want to be treated were you one of them. Treat them with the same kind of respect, sincerity of heart, cheerfulness and expectation of God's reward for how you, even though you're the master, serve them. You see how upside down Christian leadership is? We've seen this over and over. Those in authority, whether we're talking about husbands or fathers, are now bosses, are to lead through serving and meeting the needs of those who are under their authority. Isn't that amazing? How upside down God's economy is. You know, we have this idea that, well, when I'm in charge, I get to tell people under me to do what I want them to do, and they have to do it. God never says that to anybody in authority. 
What God says to husbands is not husbands lead your wives, but husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Is that what we expect? No. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Is that what we expect? No. Masters, do the same to them. It's that same kind of instruction that you are to exercise your leadership through serving those who are under your authority. And the next phrase is deeply subversive also of worldly ways of being the boss. You see it? Look at, the, look at your Bible. Stop your threatening. Some of you who are, who, are, who are in leadership are going, stop your threatening, like what am I supposed to do now? Right? This is the way I get people to do things. Stop your threatening. Most of us, you know, if you give, give somebody who's a, who's a little worldling, you know, someone who's not a believer in Jesus, uh, any kind of authority at all, pretty quickly they're going to turn into Vizzini and the Princess Bride. You remember, you remember Vizzini? He's the little short guy. Wallace Shawn plays him in the movie. And, uh, you know, he, is, he, he hires uh, a master swordsman who's a Spaniard, and he hires Andre the Giant to be his fantastic giant and win all his battles for him. And uh, at one point, uh, Andre is hauling everybody in, on the crew, including the woman they have kidnapped, uh, up the cliffs of insanity, and he's not going fast enough. And so Vizzini says to him, did I mention that your job is on the line, right? You know this scene? This is a great scene. It's hilarious. Um, and he's like, well, he, he's, he's only carrying himself, and I'm, I'm carrying three people, <laughs> you know? He's like, I'm just going to have to find myself a new giant, that's all, right? But uh, the, this is how people who are of the world motivate, is they threaten everybody with their job. Christian masters, Christian bosses don't threaten. They motivate in a different way entirely. Do the same to them. It turns out that when you treat people under you well, they want to serve you well because you have served them well. And finally, the end of the verse also parallels God's word to workers knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. In other words, the same God who watches over the work that those who serve do, that same God watches over the work of those who lead. And just as there is an encouragement to those who serve that their reward is in heaven if they serve well, there's also an implied warning to those in charge that God is ultimately in charge. And that his reward or its absence will be also there for those who are in charge according to how they have used their authority. 
Because once again, we're reminded here in verse 9 that God is not impressed by our titles and our, uh, our you know, name plates on the door or our spot on the org chart. What God values and rewards is work done for His glory, for His honor, and recognition that He is the Lord of all things and all people. So here's the point of the whole message. Be filled with the Spirit and do your work to glorify Jesus Christ and to receive His reward. That is how you greet Monday morning and Tuesday afternoon and the Thursday meeting that should have been an email that you still have to attend. Um, that is how you go about your day. Christianity is not a Sunday morning thing where we gather together and we sing a few songs and we listen to some guy talk about God's Word. Christianity gets into the nitty-gritty of everyday life, of your job, of your family, of your money, of your calendar. Every part of life is under the Lordship of Christ. And Jesus, who not only is with us in every part of our life, he rewards every part of our life that we live for His glory and His honor. Amen? So, whether whatever role you have, uh, whether you're the boss, whether you're the underling, uh, whether it is for 40 or 50 years, or whether it is, um, got to get through tomorrow, We serve the Lord with that big chunk of our life that our jobs occupy, whatever our job is. And we are doing it looking forward to receiving His reward for doing it. And as we do that, as we're filled with the Spirit and as we, as we bring Jesus into what we're doing, as we serve the Lord in our work, we not only testify to the truth of the gospel, but we also can look forward to that reward that's going to be ours. Can you imagine? You know, I think I think it I think at Caterpillar, if you've been there like 50 years, they give you like a plaque or something, right? Some particle board thing that looks shiny and you can put on your shelf and whatever. And that's that's cool, right? It's you worked hard for that reward, right? Yeah. How much better? do you think Jesus is at handing out rewards than that? Your life is an act of service to God. So let's live it and receive His reward. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we, we want to honor You in every part of our life. We want to, to have Jesus be seen, not just in what we say, not just in what we talk about, not just in being the person who annoys everybody at work talking about Jesus all the time, but Father, in how we work. And what our attitude is and the kind of work that we do and the fact that we're cheerful about it. We want our work to be transformed by Jesus' presence. And Father, we, we also want to experience the transformation of our leadership, whatever 
role we're in where we lead other people, Father, we want that to be characterized by the fact that we treat one another like we would want to be treated, and that we serve those we lead. And Father, we will desperately need your help in order to do that, in order to see that come to fruition in our lives. But Father, we ask by your Holy Spirit for your help. And we, uh, we pray that our Monday morning would look different for having read and studied and understood, understood your word today. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.